everyone. For those who don't know me, my name's Jessamine. I'm the Head of Employment and Intellectual Property in Stevenson Harwood's Hong Kong office. Over the coming months, we will be speaking with lawyers from various countries regarding investing in other jurisdictions and the possibility of immigrating overseas. Hong Kong has experienced a turbulent 18 months which has paralyzed parts of the city and has caused major disruption to residents and business owners alike. With the introduction of the new security law, business owners are considering the implications of the changes and whether they should continue to stay in Hong Kong or move overseas. We will be focusing on the feasibility of Hong Kong business owners, either transferring their existing business or setting up a new business in Canada, Dubai, Malaysia, Singapore and the UK, and examining the procedure for immigrating to these jurisdictions. We are kicking off the series in Singapore. We will have two podcasts per country. The first looks at the different options available in setting up a business in that jurisdiction, the tax regime, and how business owners can ensure that they can obtain residency rights for themselves and their family members. The second podcast will focus on the employment regime and discuss issues which business owners need to know, the laws relating to the employment of local staff, and the procedural requirements relating to transferring employees from Hong Kong to work in the overseas entity. With me today is Elaine Bay and E. Lee from Stevenson Harwood's Singapore office. Elaine is a partner in the corporate department and E is a registered foreign lawyer who works in the wealth department. Both ladies regularly deal with the issues which we will be discussing today. So let's start by talking about setting up a business in Singapore. Elaine, can you give me an overview of what options are open to Hong Kong business owners who want to immigrate to Singapore and are considering setting up a branch office or a local subsidiary there? Singapore is one of the world's easiest places to do business. It is relatively straightforward to set up a business in Singapore as there is no minimum capital requirement and the time taken to register a business can be as short as a day. Businesses in Singapore may be conducted through a variety of vehicles. These include a partnership, a private company limited by shares, a branch office or a representative office. The most common setup used by investors is a private company limited by shares. The choice of organizational form may be dictated by the activities which are intended to be carried on in Singapore or by tax considerations. What considerations need to be made in setting up a Singapore branch office of the Hong Kong business or a new local subsidiary? Any business activity conducted in Singapore needs to be registered with the Accounting and Corporate Regulatory Authority of Singapore, also known as ACRA. Setting up a branch office is considered an extension of the foreign company and not as a separate legal entity, unlike a new local subsidiary. The business activities of the branch office must be the same as that of the parent company, and the debts and losses of the branch office are extended to the parent. In contrast, a subsidiary company is a separate legal entity, whether it is 100% owned by a parent company or numerous shareholders. And the liability of every shareholder is limited to the value of the shares it has subscribed to. So if a client wants to set up a branch office in Singapore, what are the requirements? The name of the Singapore branch office must be the same as that of the parent company, and the name must be pre-approved before branch office registration. 
The Companies Act requires the appointment of at least one authorised representative who is ordinarily a Singapore resident. This person may be a Singapore citizen, a permanent resident, or a holder of an employment pass. A branch office also needs to have a registered office in Singapore. The parent company's memorandum and articles of association or equivalent must be lodged with ACRA. Okay, so tell me how does a local subsidiary differ from a branch office? A subsidiary has a distinct legal entity from the parent foreign company and is treated as a local tax resident here. A Singapore subsidiary must have a resident director in Singapore, although he or she does not have to be a Singaporean. The resident director may be a permanent resident or an employment pass holder. It is possible to engage a service provider to provide nominee director services subject to certain terms and conditions. We do offer this service to our clients. Some Singapore-specific advantages for setting up a subsidiary company include one, the subsidiary company can have paid up capital in the same currency as its parent company, which can make the accounting process easier. Second, the subsidiary's name can be the same or different from that of the parent company. Third, the process of incorporating a subsidiary company is fairly straightforward and the key requirements include the following. You need at least one shareholder who can be an individual or corporate entity. You need one resident director, one company secretary, and an initial paid-up share capital of at least $1, sing dollar. Okay, so tell me about the tax regime in Singapore. Are there tax incentives for companies that set up the regional headquarters in Singapore? The Singapore corporate tax rate is currently at 17%. Companies that commit to anchor substantive headquarter activities in Singapore to manage, coordinate and control regional business operations may apply for a tax exemption or concessionary tax rates of 5 or 10% on income from headquarter activities. Tax incentive applications are subject to an approval process and applicants are expected to carry out substantive high-value activities in Singapore. There are also tax incentives for specific sectors such as manufacturing, financial services, research and development activities, and intellectual property management, maritime, shipping, and logistics activities. For clients setting up overseas, it's often the case that setting up the business is not difficult, but opening bank accounts is an issue. In Hong Kong, we assist clients with this process, which generally takes around one to two months, depending on the bank. And this is after the submission of detailed business plans, setting out how the business will operate, who its customers and potential customers are, and detailing the goods or services to be provided. How does Singapore compare in terms of the likely issues clients will face in applying for a bank account? The situation in Singapore is not very different to that in Hong Kong, and the process of opening bank accounts will usually take one to two months. It is difficult for foreign companies to open a bank account here unless there is a form of business presence in Singapore, such as a local subsidiary. Even for a local subsidiary owned by a foreign company, the standard checklist is comprehensive and many questions will be asked as part of the bank account opening process. One can expect questions relating to the reason for the need to open the bank account, the proposed business activities, 
and also the submission of a detailed business plan as part of the AML and KYC checks of the bank. Okay, so what I understand that you're saying is that the banks will ask why does the company need to be based in Singapore as opposed to anywhere else in the world and why a bank account is needed in Singapore. So, for example, a Hong Kong business which decides to assign its intellectual property to a Singapore holding company, which will then receive royalties from its licensees, should be able to easily overcome this issue. Yes, that's correct. For a foreign high net worth individual, opening a bank account may be easier if the bank account is open with a private bank, particularly so if there is a pre-existing relationship with a private bank in the individual's home country. We are aware that some local banks have introduced a remote bank opening process such that the usual face-to-face meeting for a new client may be dispensed with. Nonetheless, the usual checks on source of wealth and source of funds remain key. Assuming a Hong Kong business owner has jumped through the hoops of setting up a business in Singapore and managed to open a bank account, what steps do they then need to take to ensure that they can move to Singapore to manage their business, whether as an employee or a director? Yi, can you give me a general overview of the immigration regime in Singapore? Immigration or residency in Singapore is generally quite straightforward. We have mainly two routes of residency in Singapore, a fast-track permanent residency route under the Global Investor Programme, also known as the GIP, or a work visa application which allows a person to reside, live and work in Singapore. Under the GIP scheme, investors who are interested in starting a business or investing in Singapore can make a Singapore dollars 2.5 million investment, which is approximately US 1.8 million, into a business, an approved fund or start up a family office. There are other qualifying criteria that will have to be met, such as business turnover and the industry that the business falls under. The main issues for applicants is that of the eligibility requirement of the GIP scheme, which imposes an annual business turnover requirement. This is especially so since the changes that came into effect in March this year. The current scheme requires a minimum average turnover to be at least Singapore dollars 200 million for established business owners. While if you qualify under the new profiles of investors, such as next-generation business owners or founders of fast-growth companies, the minimum turnover requirement and valuation of the company requirement is at Sing 500 million. The family office scheme under the GIP scheme is therefore one of the more popular routes now. As the changes affected in March, um, the qualifying requirement of having a family net worth of Sing dollars 400 million has been removed. So Yi, what are the differences in the benefits which a successful applicant under the GIP scheme who obtains permanent residency compared to someone who applies for a work visa? PR basically offers more flexibility and it is easier to renew as compared to a work visa. For example, a work pass is usually granted for one to two years and the renewal is subject to continued employment. A work pass holder is also only able to have one employment as the work visa is tied to the employer. In comparison, a person who has a permanent residency is free to reside and work in Singapore and can have multiple employments. An issue we see that arises often with work visas is where an employment pass holder may wish to take up a secondary directorship. And this is regardless of whether such secondary directorship is an executive or a non-executive role. 
The position is that the Ministry of Manpower would generally grant a letter of consent to e allow EP holders to take up secondary directorship appointments in companies that are related by corporate shareholding to the EP holders' primary employer, as the regulatory authority regards such appointment as being critical to the past holders' primary job role. If the secondary directorship is in an unrelated company, the MOM relies on the assessment of a sector government agency regulating or promoting the development of the industry. For example, employees of fund managers licensed by the Monetary Authority of Singapore would be allowed to take on a directorship appointment for their investment vehicles, as this is supported by the regulatory authority. In all other circumstances, the MOM may grant a letter of consent if the pass holder is sufficiently senior or has a significant ownership stake in the company. It is important to note that each case is assessed on its merits and there is no guarantee. For work visas, there are mainly two types, being the employment pass that applies to professionals, managers and executives, as well as the entree pass that applies to entrepreneurs, innovators and investors. The employment pass is the most common form of work visa we encounter. Applicants are required to be paid a minimum monthly salary of Sing dollars 3,900 which is approximately US 2,800. We would, however, like to highlight that this is expected to change from September this year, where the minimum monthly salary will rise to Singapore dollars 4,500, which is approximately US 3,300. Um, another change is that for the first time, the Ministry of Manpower is introducing a salary requirement for a specific sector, namely the financial services industry. The minimum monthly salary for this sector will be set at Singapore dollars 5,000, which is approximately US 3,600 from 1st of December 2020. So Yi, can you tell me if business owners generally apply under GIP or do they seek an employment pass? Well, for business owners who have no issue with the annual turnover requirement under the GIP scheme uh, or have businesses within the 25 approved industries under the GIP scheme, they will definitely opt for permanent residency under the GIP scheme. If not, the employment pass is the next easiest route to obtaining a form of residency in Singapore. So after permanent residency is granted, does it last indefinitely or can PR be revoked, say, if the individual leaves Singapore for a long period of time? Strictly speaking, PR status does not expire. However, a PR status is always accompanied by a re-entry permit, which is also colloquially known as the Multiple Entry Visa Facility. And this re-entry permit has an expiry date. PR status will generally be granted with an initial five-year re-entry permit, and this will have to be renewed periodically. The renewal is usually granted anywhere for a period of two to five years, and residency would play an integral part to the renewal of the re-entry permit. So Yi, tell me a bit more about the threshold for applying for an entrepreneur's visa. In Hong Kong, we need to show a benefit to the community as a whole when applying for such visas and provide a three-year business plan to show that the business is sustainable. Is it a difficult visa to obtain? While there is no minimum salary requirement like an employment pass or a minimum turnover requirement like the GIP scheme, the entree pass is very targeted and is very specific as to the profile of investors and business owners. As such, we do not actually see many clients exploring this as an option. A business plan will definitely have to be submitted at application stage and the profile of the applicant must also meet strict criteria. For example, an entrepreneur would have to have raised funding for at least Singapore dollars 100,000 
approximately US 72,000 from a government investment vehicle, venture capitalist, or business angel that is recognized by a Singapore government agency, or be an existing incubatee at an incubator or an accelerator in Singapore that is recognized by the government. Does this mean that entrepreneurs who have already secured their own funding are not eligible to apply? No. An entrepreneur who has significant business experience or networks and has a promising track record of starting highly scalable business may also apply. However, there are further requirements that will have to be fulfilled, such as the applicant must either have founded and sold a tech company, have raised significant funding from investors from a current or past venture, have been or are being incubated by an internationally renowned incubator or accelerator, have strong industry networks and business contacts that are related to the proposed business, or have received recognition by a national body, recognized media publication, or credible industry organization for the, for the applicant's professional business or entrepreneurial achievements at track record. While the applicant will not need to meet all of the above requirements, having more qualifications will definitely be helpful to the application. Those sound like quite high requirements to meet. How about innovators? What are the requirements applicable to them? For innovators, they would either have to hold intellectual property or have ongoing research collaboration with an approved research institution in Singapore, or they must have had extraordinary achievement in key areas of expertise. For investors, one will have to demonstrate a good investment track record and invest either in a highly scalable business or have at least eight years experience as a senior management professional or executive in a large corporation. The renewal requirements for an entrepass are also extremely complicated. The initial pass is granted for one year and subsequent renewals are granted for two years. The renewal criteria increase depends on the, the, on the length of time you have held an entrepass and includes business spending and local employment requirements. So, for example, if you have held the pass for two years, you must have incurred Sing dollars 100,000, which is approximately US 72,000, and employ either three Singapore citizens or PRs or one local professional managerial executive. If you have held the pass for four years, you must thereafter incur Sing 200,000, approximately US 144,000, and employ either six Singapore citizens or PRs or two local professional managerial executives. This renewal criteria increases until you have held the pass for eight years or more. In conclusion, and as mentioned earlier, this is not an easy pass to obtain and is also not as popular as the, on, or as the employment pass or the GIP scheme. Is there a particular option which gives an individual better prospects of being granted the right to work and reside in Singapore? I would not go that far to say that any particular option gives an individual better prospects. Instead, we look at qualifying criteria and the profile of the applicant. This applies to both work visas as well as permanent residency applications. For work visas, the professional qualifications, skill sets, as well as educational background are important factors. For permanent residency, the entrepreneurial background as well as business performance are deciding factors. Once the work visa or PR is granted, how do immediate family members obtain dependent visas and will they have the right to work on a dependence visa? Dependent visas can be made concurrently together with the main applicant visas. 
Immediate family members who are eligible for dependent visas include spouse and unmarried children under the age of 21 years old. A dependent pass holder cannot work unless a separate letter of consent is obtained from the Ministry of Manpower. This is not a difficult process, but a dependent pass holder will only be able to apply for such letter of consent when they have obtained a job offer. Once visas have been granted, what steps need to be taken to ensure that the approvals are not revoked? I would say the most important step is to comply with the local laws. The fastest way to have a permit revoked is to get into trouble with the law. For example, we saw recent cases of experts on work visas and permanent residents who have had their passes revoked due to breaching safe distancing and COVID control measures. Also, to state the obvious, to comply with the administrative timelines, such as pass issuance, health checks. Of course, residency for PR is very, very important, and for work passes, employment is paramount. So to sum up, what are the main issues that people face in looking to immigrate to Singapore? Well, employment passes are not easily granted. And now, especially with the COVID-19 situation, we have increased border controls in place and only limited work passes are granted at this stage. In normal circumstances, in addition to meeting qualifying requirements such as education and professional qualifications and salary amount, companies will also need to comply with the fair consideration framework. An important feature under this framework is the need for employers to advertise a job opening on a government website aimed to help Singapore citizens and permanent residents before the company proceeds to employ expats. A foreign person cannot purchase restricted real residential property unless he obtains prior approval from the Minister of Law. Restricted property includes landed property, which includes detached houses, semi-detached houses, terrace houses, including link houses or townhouses. An exception would be landed properties in Sentosa. However, a foreign person may acquire an apartment within a building or a unit in an approved condominium development. I would also add that an expat should also note that additional buyer stamp duties will apply for any property purchased in Singapore. This additional duty is on top of the basic stamp duty payable on the purchase of a property. The current buyer stamp duty rate for residential properties are up to 4% and the additional buyer stamp duty rate for foreigners is a hefty 20%. Also, families with school-going children will have the task of navigating education options in Singapore. The usual schooling options for expats would be international schools and Singapore is home to many. However, expats may also consider local schools And this will also largely depend on the types of passes they hold. For example, some schools accept students on dependent passes, while some schools only accept students on student passes. Are there enough schools in Singapore to cater for international students? In Hong Kong, there is very stiff competition to get into a school of your choice, as even local parents seek to put their children in international schools. And often, applying even before your child is born will not guarantee that you get the place of your choice at the school. There are definitely enough schools in Singapore for international students. You will actually be surprised to know that Singapore citizens are not allowed to attend international schools unless they have obtained special dispensation given to them by the Ministry of Education. It is harder the other way. If an international student would like to attend a local school, this is an extremely difficult process. The situation you have described in Hong Kong sounds similar for entry into local schools. 
to gain entry at six years old, which we call primary one, there is actually a lottery system and for all other grades, the incoming student will have to sit a very challenging entrance exam. So what practical guidance can you give to anyone considering a move to Singapore? Do your research. Bank accounts can't get open until you have your EP. You can't get the EP card until you are physically present in Singapore. So you are stuck for a period without an account, which can be hard if you need to make payments for rental. Singapore is very different to Hong Kong and it is not everyone's cup of tea. However, in terms of quality of life, it is comparable to Hong Kong. The air here is much cleaner compared to Hong Kong, save for the odd day where the forest fires in Indonesia can cause haze. From a business perspective, corporate tax rates are similar, and as English is one of the national languages, this makes Singapore one of the most attractive destinations in the world. Thank you, Elaine and Yi, for providing such an insightful overview of considerations for investing in Singapore. That's all for our podcast today. You can listen again to our podcast and subscribe to the whole series on iTunes and Stitcher or by visiting the Stevenson Harwood website. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.